Once again, welcome everyone. Welcome to our Monday evening gathering. It's uh, really is a delight to see all of you, whether I'm seeing you three-dimensionally or two-dimensionally. It's really both, both are, are wonderful worlds to uh, behold all of you in. And uh, what I'd like to begin with this evening is to begin with a point I always, I often make about one of the ways the Buddha teaches, and, and that's how uh, many of the, the teachings that the Buddha offers us, not all of them, is around uh, changing our perception. How can I change my perception? And there are certain ways that, that I can change my perception that frees my heart and my mind. And often it's, 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 a, uh, it's addressing uh, letting go of unskillful ways of perceiving and bringing on these other ways of, of perceiving. So a common one, which I'll speak about much more this evening, is uh, loving kindness. You can see loving kindness is a heartfelt way of perceiving. Classically, at least in the commentaries, it's, it's, the, it's talked about in terms of uh, having this ability where I can see the goodness in others. And when I see the goodness in others, I'm touched in a particular way and my heart is warmed by that. And then there's a feeling of kindness that, that, that gets evoked from that. Or another perception, even though it's not spoken about so much, it really is a way of perceiving, a heartfelt way of perceiving. When I have a foundation of loving kindness, I can also have this uh, where I'm touched by the goodness in a being. I can also uh, begin to perceive their suffering, perceive it in a way that there's a, a, a quality of, of care that gets evoked in my heart. And then with that, having this wish holding in my heart, you know, may you be free from suffering. So different ways, different ways of perceiving that can free our hearts and minds. This past week, I was becoming curious about this. I was exploring it. I, I, I was traveling a bit this past week. I, I went to Texas for the memorial for my uh, mother-in-law who passed away in May. And she died in May from complications that resulted from really this long journey with dementia. And in the midst of the traveling, and sometimes this is why I like to travel, because often I have a, a, a particular flavor of kindness that, that can come up, and it was quite poignant this time. And uh, this particular entryway into loving kindness this time was kind of wholeheartedly perceiving strangers as my family, as my kin. And when I use the word family, I mean in the best sense of that word, just to be clear. <laughs> really perceiving in this way and the felt sense of this. So when I saw all those people in the airport that I didn't know or on the bus or in the grocery store, it was like, oh yeah, oh, oh, here we are. Here we're family, we're kin. We're from the same tribe. It, it really was so sweet to feel the softening in my heart and also the feeling of connection just from that. Rather than kind of an habitual feeling for me is just being surrounded by a bunch of strangers that I don't know. Where 
kind of the habit that's the that that's involved in that is a sense of disconnection or a little bit of sense of separation. It feels different. It feels different when I take on this perception. And I want to be clear, my intention wasn't to erase differences. That wasn't the purpose of it. Yeah, noticing difference, I think, is is important. But at the same time, allowing for connection. To, to get this felt sense of, of connection that's intertwined with kindness and compassion, in particular towards strangers, towards people I don't know. And it's true, I think the this perception of family, of perception of kin felt alive, but just because of my experience of it around the memorial. I was connecting with extended family. And for me, that section of extended family, I love them. It's so sweet to hang out with them. It was something that they were evoking for me. And also my mother-in-law who passed away, Jerry, she was a woman who was deeply dedicated to family and to caring. You know, when I was reflecting back on her life, and that was so wonderful to have this memorial to remember her life. As an adult, she had so much on her plate. She's raising five kids. Sometimes there was a dog, some cats involved. And always working more than just full time just to make the ends meet for her family. And for most of her working days, she was a guidance counselor and uh, hearing stories about the students she helped they were family to her. And the memorial began with a slideshow of image after image of her holding children and grandchildren, images of connection, of, of kindness and compassion, family, kin in the, in the best sense of the word. And I, I wanted to share this with you because I, I find this approach to evoking kindness so relevant. This practice of beholding strangers as family, as kin. And why do I find it relevant? Because of my history, because of our history. So what, what do I mean by history? What is history? And I want to share with you a quote from James Baldwin, who speaks to, I think, a, a provocative way of getting a sense of history. And remember, this is coming from James Baldwin. He says, history, as nearly no one seems to know, is not merely something to be read. And it does not refer merely or even principally to the past. On the contrary, the great force of history comes from the fact that we carry it within us, are unconsciously controlled by it in many ways. And history is literally present in all that we do. It could scarcely be otherwise, since it is to history that we owe our frames of reference, our identities and our aspirations.
right? The, as he says, the great force of history comes from the fact that we carry it within us. I, I carry it right here. History is literally present in all that we do. It's it's right here. Is that character from that uh, William Faulkner uh, character in one of his novels says that the past is not even present. It's not even past. It's present. It's happening right now. And I've been reflecting on this sense of history in terms of really in terms of the particular particular animal that I am. And also the particular animal that all of you are, excluding maybe the flies and the spiders that might be in the room. And what's the particular animal that I am and that I'm guessing you are? We're primates. And what is found in this particular primate is this deeply, deeply rooted sense of perceiving others within our species as either one of us or one of them. It's this us and them way of perceiving. This is what comes with the particular primate that I am, that we are. And I do want to acknowledge there is a, a beautiful and positive aspect to that, that I, I think I saw embody, embodied by my, my late mother-in-law, that sense of us. When there's a sense of you're one of us, the deep compassion and kindness and support that can happen in that realm, it's so beautiful. That comes from my animal biology, it's so beautiful. but I think you know where I'm going with this. <laughs> if we're only that, <laughs> I probably might not have been pointing to it in this way. Because there's the other side that comes with this. And it, that's the them part, the enemy. When you reflect right now, which I invite you to do just on the global level, the deeply rigid and entrenched notions of us and them that are fueling violent conflict as I speak. It fuels racism. You could say it's also connected with these dynamics of domination, for example, around patriarchy that have been going on for centuries. Robert Sapolsky, who's written a lot about this, uh, thinks that our most troubling behavior in our species arises out of this us and them way of perceiving that we've inherited. And if this problem problematic aspect of us and them, this problematic aspect of us and them, uh, this, this way of perceiving, it doesn't only exist out there with those people creating conflict, it's here too. I think this is what makes practice so poignant is I can do a practice here for myself that addresses that. We too are those kinds of primates. I mean, just to bring to mind right now, those people who vote differently than you do. You ever have that feeling? There's us who get it. And then there's 
them who don't get it. This is so deeply rooted in how we function as human beings, us and them. It's the kind of animal I am. It's the kind of animal you are. And then there's the context of strangers, which also adds a, a wrinkle to all this. Uh, there's a professor of psychology, Alexander Todorov, who, who speaks to this. He, he says, if you imagine humankind evolving for 24 hours, so it's, it's scrunching our 7 million year history into 24 hours. And if you did that, the, the time we've been living in large societies populated with strangers amounts to less than five minutes. 24 hours, just five minutes, our evolutionary history of, of living amongst strangers. This is a new thing for my system in that way. And he talks about how in this, this manner, kind of uh, the inferences that, the, that our minds draw just with the appearance of people gets really complicated and, and intertwined with these, these us and them notions that can be quite harmful, quite dangerous with how these minds work. Because we take a appearance and then we infer something about one's character. But if I just see somebody in the airport or on the street, right? I don't know anything about them, yet it can feel like I do, but I really don't. So this can end up being a, a bad scene. And I think this bad scene that I'm, I'm pointing to is, is uh, the way I see it is it's like a contemporary way of understanding the Buddha's notion of the unskillful karma that we've inherited from the past. Oh, these dynamics, here they are. This is what I've inherited from my evolutionary past. And he didn't talk about evolution, but I think if he was alive to now, he'd be totally down for it. This is what James Baldwin is pointing to, maybe in a different context here. The, the great force of history comes from the fact that we carry it within us. And yes, I'm, I'm oversimplifying it. This is complex. But I found, and probably you found, it can be supportive to find groups or communities of people that feel supportive for you. This is part of the spiritual path to find sangha, to find community that is uh, exposing you to kind of values and ways of being that feel more meaningful to you and also have this value of non-harming. And there's a way that we distinguish, right, communities from one another. I came into this community because it had these particular values, a value of non-harming. There are other communities that don't have that same value. And there's a way that I can move forward with that support. So yeah, there is a, a place to, to kind of skillfully use us and them if it's not too rigid. And yet it does have this shadow side as well that I've been pointing to. 
So how, how can we address such biological history? How can I address that, that I carry this within me in, in so many different ways, so many different facets? This deep wiring that's in here of us and them. And I, I think there's probably many ways. So I just want to share one way that I was pointing to of what I was doing in the bus or at the airport or in the grocery store. And it's this, really what I was doing was simply expanding the sense of us. There's something really beautiful in my system around us-ness. It's where the compassion lies. It's where the compassion, the kindness lies. It's where the empathy is. When I see you as family, when I see you as kin. And yes, this, this uh, problematic aspect of perceiving us and them is deeply wired in these human bodies. And this is, I think, what the Buddha discovered, that perception is malleable. I have a way to gain the skill, to learn the skill of changing perception, of shaping perception. And this is where it begins, where, where this fits with what I began with, this practice of changing uh, per, uh, perception, stretching my senses of, of who is part of the us, who is part of my family, family, who is a part of kin. And for me, I, I hear the Buddha encouraging me as a practitioner in this direction. For example, there's a discourse from the Buddha, the Karaniya Metta Sutta. It's this discourse on loving kindness. And he says, even as a, as a mother protects with her life, her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings. Do you hear that move? Oh, just, just as that child is family, kin, can this be the case for, for all living beings? And then he goes on, radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Right, Perceiving all living beings as family, really in the, in the best sense of the word. You know, as, as Gwendolyn Brooks put it in her poem, Paul Robeson, uttering Paul Robeson. We are each other's harvest. We are each other's business. We are each other's magnitude and bond. And it's in my animal nature to care for those who are part of family. And for me, the way, reason I'm sharing this is because this way of perceiving has felt so transformative for me to actually feel that, not to just think it, but to feel that in my heart. Thomas Merton in his uh, diaries wrote of an experience that I think uh, really gives uh, words to the, to the transformative power of the heart opening in this way. And it happened just on a street corner around strangers. He says, in Louisville, at the corner of Fourth and Walnut in the center of the shopping district, I was suddenly overwhelmed with the realization 
that I loved all these people, that they were mine and I theirs. That we could not be alien to one another, even though we were total strangers. It was like waking from a dream of separateness, of spurious self-isolation in a special world. It says, we are in the same world as everybody else, the world of the bomb, the world of race, the world of hatred, the world of technology, the world of mass media. The sense of liberation from a, an illusory difference was, was such a relief and such a joy to me that I almost laughed out loud. And if only everybody could realize this, but it can't be explained. There's no way of telling people that they're all walking around shining like the sun. Do you hear that? The heart opening in this particular way. At the same time, when I'm pointing to this transformation, I, I, I wanna be clear. I'm not saying this is the solution to all the complexities of the systems of, of oppression that we live in the midst of. I think that's too overly simplistic around how especially systemic harm happens. Yet at the same time, I think it makes a difference in the world when there's people that, that practice this, that practice having a different perception. And then the question always arises, Ryan, this sounds so great, but what about the really crappy people in the world? Really, like the really crappy people, come on. <laughs> How does this apply to them? What comes to mind is a, a story that uh, a visiting teacher gave here in Flagstaff, Sebene Selassie. And uh, it's such a great story because it's something that I've practiced after I heard her share the story. She told the story of how um, she came to cultivate kindness for George W. Bush when he was in the presidency. And someone whose actions brought serious harm into the world. And when she told the story, she was talking about, you know, how much turmoil he was creating in her heart and how it was so difficult to bridge that gap and to have kindness for him in the midst of actually what was going on. And what she did, I thought this was super creative. What she did is she imagined all the causes and conditioned that, conditions that formed George Bush since he was born. What were the conditions there right when he was born? And then when he was growing up as a child and then as a teenager and then in high school and then in college. And then she realized that if she had had the exact same conditioning as George Bush, she would be George Bush. He's just a conglomeration of these causes and conditions. And what this did is this opened up this sense of kindness and compassion in her heart for him. She felt connected, or as the language, I think she writes about this in her book, she felt that he belonged to her and that she belonged to him.
and I want to be clear when I when I'm sharing this, I'm, I'm not saying that uh, you know when I cultivate kindness towards someone like this, especially someone in power who has done great harm, it's not about condoning their actions. It's not saying what has happened is okay. <clears throat> Rather, it opens up a way to move forward that isn't rooted in a kind of us and them that I'm pointing to. Because when it's rooted in that kind of us and them, it just lead, it leads to the repeated pattern of domination. Just the, the roles get switched. It's the same dynamic. And 7A speaks to this in her book. She says, that person, those people, these groups, systems, and structures would be different if the causes and conditions were other than what they are. Currently, this is the way things are. And she says, I don't need to be in contention with that reality wishing for a different past. If I want to change things, I start right now with what is closest to me. I do this knowing the truth of belonging. You can say the truth of connection, which means I continually root out the ways I feel separate, the ways I dominate others. If we succumb to the delusion of separation, we will, we will repeat the same mistakes. beginning to know the truth of belonging or the language I'm using to know this perception of family, of kin in order not to repeat the same mistakes. We are each other's harvest. We are each other's business. We are each other's magnitude and bond. May we, may we learn to perceive others as family, as kin, as a way to feel connection, as a way to feel our hearts in a way that leads to the liberation of, of all beings. Thank you. Thank you for your attention. Mm -hmm.